0: During the week, my attention was drawn to the old subject of leaven in scripture. I just want to briefly, very briefly, look at that question of leaven in scripture. And Strangely enough, I was given this quotation by a man called Ironside. Error is like leaven of which we read, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Truth mixed with error is equivalent to all error, except that it is more innocent looking and therefore more dangerous. God hates such a mixture. Any error or any truth and error mixture calls for definite exposure and repudiation. To condone such is to be unfaithful to God and his word and treacherous to imperiled souls for whom Christ died. A mixture of truth and error is dangerous. You've heard me say before, rat poison. Next time you're in a a store, have a look at rat poison and what's in rat poison. And you'll find that the amount of good compared with the amount of killing substance in rat poison is interesting. The actual poison is about 0.01% of the total amount very little but it is very dangerous and it kills and so with truth mixed with error in the church we have a problem and surely we think there's not that much error about well listen to this Episcopal Bishop Catherine Jeffords Scorry says it's heresy to believe that an individual can be saved through a sinner's prayer of repentance. In her opening address to the Church's General Conference in California, she called and she quotes the great Western heresy that we can be saved as individuals, that any of us alone can be in right relationship with God. The presiding bishop said that that view is tured in some quarters by insisting that salvation depends on reciting a specific verbal formula about Jesus According to her it is heresy to believe that an individual's prayer can achieve a saving relationship with God She says that individualistic uh, focus is a form of idolatry For it puts me and my words in the place of God. The place that God can only occupy. Amazing. If I confess my sin, scripture says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Jesus said, hypocrites. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer you them that are entering, to go in. And so we have error and leaven in a lot of places today. To find out what the modern sort of everyday point of view, I looked up a dictionary to see what it said about leaven. The first one it said any substance such as yeast that will cause fermentation and raise dough. We all know that we put yeast into bread it raises it. It reminds me of the story of the old lady in the bus a rather plump lady and she was sitting in front of two little school kids and she was having great difficulty getting up out of the seat and one little school said to the other if she took some yeast she'd rise quicker and the woman heard them and said, "If you took some yeast, you'd be better bred." <laughs> but we leave that one for the moment. Then the second uh, definition was a small amount of fermenting dough kept for this purpose. You know, years ago, people used to keep yeast and uh, as it grew and fermented, and they used bits of it when necessary. But the third uh, definition, which the dictionary gave. Is the one perhaps we look at. An an influence that spreading silently and strongly changes conditions or opinions. An influence that spreading silently and strongly changes conditions or opinions. Now it's that definition that is used in the New Testament. Something that is strongly uh, changing conditions and opinions. What is this leaven mentioned in Scripture and is it good or bad? I was surprised to see that the actual word leaven in the authorised version only appears about 22 times altogether. I thought it would be hundreds of times. 11 times actually in the Old Testament and 11 times in the New Testament. Now despite what you may have been taught, leaven throughout scripture is used in a, an evil and sinful sense. There's, there is an occasion where it might appear that leaven is acceptable to God and therefore used in a good sense. and we look at that later on. But first let us look at what has been taught by many people today. You know, as we look at subjects like this, I I remind you quite often uh, a simple rule. Interpret that portion of scripture which is obscure by that which is clear. Interpret that portion of scripture which is obscure by that which is clear. And you know, if we stick to that simple rule, many errors will be avoided. I suppose the the main one that this applies to is something like infant baptism. It's fairly obvious for any normal reader of the the New Testament to to understand that baptism was for believers. But if you start going to the obscure bits then and trying to work around it and trying to work out that infant baptism is in some way uh, taught in scripture... You're going against that simple rule. Interpret that portion of scripture which is obscure by that which is clear. <clears throat> you know, when you're discussing points of doctrine, and you hear things like, it seems reasonable to think that. Or, in, in my opinion, I know the Bible says that, but in my opinion, I believe that. Beware. Beware. We have to go by the clear teaching of scripture. And in that respect, I looked up Strong, who, who gives a lot of uh, definitions, and to see what he said about leaven. And this is quite subtle, what he says. Leaven is applied to that which, though small in quantity, yet by its influence thoroughly perv- pervades a thing then he goes on to say either in a good sense as in the parable in Matthew thirteen thirty-three, or in a bad sense of a pernicious influence a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump he's introducing something there and putting it into our thoughts that in the parable in Matthew 13 leaven is used in a good sense Now, in Matthew 13, I thought we would look up Matthew 13, Matthew chapter 13. We have Jesus speaking to the people in parables, expanding the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And he starts off with the parable of the sower, well known, I'm not going to go into great detail, About it this morning. And if you look at verse 4, it says, when he, well, looking back to verse 3, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And if you look on to verse 13, Jesus explains to his disciples what this parable meant and in verse 19 it says when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart this is he which receives seed by the wayside fowls came and snatched the seed away. Jesus said the fowls represent the wicked one. These fowls were the emissaries of Satan. And I believe that interpretation obviously which Jesus gave is accepted by most people. Jesus goes on in Matthew 13 and continues his discourse goes on talking he says the parable of the sow he does the wheat and the tares and then he goes on to verse 31 another parable put he forth unto them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all seeds but when it is grown It is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in its branches. The plant grows until the birds of the air come and lodge in its branches. Who are the birds of the air? Jesus has already explained who these birds are the ones who came and took the seed away from the wayside emissaries of Satan the wicked one and Jesus goes on having given an explanation as to what the birds of the air are then says these birds come and rest in the branches of the mustard tree But this is not the general interpretation that we have in many places today. There's an expositor called John Gill, and here's what he says. His uh, his book, the John Gill Expositor, is well accepted by most Reformed theologians. Here's what he said, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. By the birds of the air some think angels are meant, compared to birds for their harmlessness and innocence, for their readiness and swiftness to do the will of God, for their warbling notes and tuneful songs of praise, and who may be called birds of the air or heaven because of their habitation. Now, these delight to be in the church, to be under the shadow of the gospel ministry, and to look into the mysteries of it. Though rather, the saints and people of God are intended, who in scripture are com- sometimes compared to com- particular birds, as to the eagle, the dove, and the sparrow, and to birds in general, because timorous, weak, and defenceless, are exposed to danger and wonderfully delivered and are very subject to wander and go astray and because of their chirpings and singing songs of praise to their God and Redeemer and to birds of the air or heaven because they are heaven born souls are partakers of the heavenly calling and are pressing for and soaring aloft towards the high calling of God in Christ now the gospel ministry and the gospel church state are very useful to these they come therefore, thereunto willingly and cheerfully deliberately and with dependence on the grace and strength of Christ humbly under a sense of their own unworthiness and yet with joy and thankfulness heartily and with their faces thitherwards and they also lodge therein this is what they desire and their hearts are set upon here they determine to be And it is their happiness to be there. The shadow of gospel ordinances are very delightful, very refreshing, and very fruitful to them, and under which saints dwell with great safety. And with a coming of these birds will there be hither, and a tabernacling of them herein, at the latter day, which are greatly designed in this part of the parable. That's his interpretation of what these birds of the air are. They're the Christians who come and others, maybe even angels he says, and lodge in the branches of this great tree. But why change the image that Jesus gave? Just a short time earlier Jesus gave the the definition of who the fowls of the air were, the, the emissaries of Satan, why would Jesus change from one parable to the next parable the complete meaning of what the birds of the air are? The picture he gives changes completely if you follow the explanation given by Jesus. The tree will grow and give rest and succour to the emissaries of Satan, who will feel totally at home sheltering in the branches of this mustard seed does it seem likely when one looks across Christendom today that this explanation that Gill has given as to the wonderful things that's going to happen from these birds resting in the branches of this mustard tree we see ecumenism, we see interfaith meetings we see compromise of the word of God all happily joined together in one big tree. see we must remember that the theme of these parables in Matthew 13. Is not the church. It's not the church. Even though the parables they cover the age. During which the church has been called out. It covers those areas which come under the sound of the gospel. I suppose Christendom. Which would be a word to describe it. And those hearing the word, Jesus has said, Those who bow to the authority of the King become members of his kingdom. Though as yet, it's not a visible kingdom or a state here on earth. And that's why there's a mixture. If you mix up the kingdom of heaven and put it as the teaching as if it is the church. We come up with all wrong doctrines. And so if we look again at verse 33. Another parable Jesus gives in this discourse throughout chapter 13. Another parable said he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. Now, leaven, everywhere else in Scripture, is spoken of as something evil. But what does John Gill say, the venerable, and much revered John Gill say of this, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. The word leaven, now this is interesting. The word leaven is everywhere else used in a bad sense. He admits to that. And either designs immorality as malice and wickedness or false doctrine. Such as that of the Pharisees and Sadducees he admits to that straight away but he says here it seems to be taken in a good sense and the gospel to be compared unto it nor for its disagreeable qualities but on account of its small quantity it is a little leaven that leavens the whole lump And may express, as the grain of mustard seed does, the small beginnings of the gospel, and its meaningness and its meanness in the eyes of men, and on account of its piercing, penetrating, and spreading nature, so the gospel reaches the conscience, pierces the heart, and he goes on, and he has great he he goes on in other sections to say that The the gospel will be accepted by kings and governments and all the rest of it throughout the world there's no evidence of it but he admits to the fact that leaven is elsewhere used in an evil scent but he's happy to change its normal meaning throughout scripture to fit the theory of those of his ilk and those of Reformed theology. And that is why. Strong gives his definition. Definition. As we read there. He says. It's either in a good sense. In the parable in Matthew 33. Or in a bad sense. And he. They are prepared to change the words of Jesus. In his explanations. And change the fact that. Leaven is used everywhere else in scripture. As something which is evil, but for this occasion, Jesus uses it in a good sense. You see, from the first Passover, the Israelites were instructed to get rid of leaven. Get rid of leaven from their houses. And you know, the consequences of uh, disobedience, and not getting rid of the leaven out of their house, was very serious they were cut off from the congregation of israel cut off for having a little leaven in the house they were to be meticulous in searching out the leaven in their houses and to get rid of it and this speaks to us so vividly of sin And that's why when we turn to the New Testament, Jesus, speaking of leaven in Matthew 16 verse 6, Jesus said unto the disciples, take heed because of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And you know the disciples thought that Jesus was scolding them for not having brought bread with them. But Jesus said, did you not see all the miracles I did? It's nothing to do with that. It says, Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus uses leaven in an evil sense for false doctrine. We saw that false doctrine which is rife throughout the world today. And that woman over in America, an alleged bishop, Saying that one cannot uh, pray a prayer of repentance and be saved. Distinct opposition to the word of God. And Jesus said, stay away from the false doctrine of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And with that thought in mind, we look at 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5, we'll read... It, I'm going to read it from the American Standard Version. No, I think I'm reading from the uh, Amplified Version. 1 Corinthians 5 Verse 1 It is actually reported that there is sexual, sexual immorality among you, impurity of a sort that is condemned and does not occur even among the heathen. For a man has his own father's wife and you are proud and arrogant. And you ought rather to mourn until the person who has done this shameful thing is removed from your fellowship and your midst. As for my attitude, though I am absent from you in body, I am present in spirit, and I have already decided and passed judgment as if actually present. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, on the man who has committed such a deed, when you and my own spirit are met together with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man over to Satan for physical discipline, (coughs) that his spirit may yet be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. About the condition of your church, your boasting is not good. Indeed, it is most unseemly and entirely out of place. Do you not know that just a little leaven will ferment the whole lump of dough? Purge, clean out the old leaven that you may be fresh new dough. Still uncontaminated as you are, For Christ our Passover Lamb Has been sacrificed Therefore let us keep the feast Not with old leaven Nor with leaven of vice And malice and wickedness But with the unleavened bread Of purity And sincerity And unadulterated truth This strikes home does it not Let us clean up The temple of the Holy Spirit. Our lives. And rid our lives of leaven. In all its shapes and forms. And that's the background. Very quickly. As to what leaven is. In the New Testament. And in the Old Testament. It always spoke of something which was. Disagreeable and sinful towards God. And if they kept the leaven in the house, they were cut off from the congregation. Now, turn to Leviticus chapter 23. verse 15 these are the appointed festivals which are being described here in Leviticus and ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the sabbath from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering seven sabbaths shall be complete They had the Passover, the next day they had the the day when they brought the sheaf of the wave offering, and from that seven Sabbaths. And it goes on. That is seven Sabbaths from the feast of first fruits. Seven Sabbaths from the feast of first fruits. The high priest went out into the Kedron Valley out from the city and he ceremoniously cut a sheaf to give thanks for the grain harvest speaking of the resurrection of the Lord as the first fruits and then of the future harvest thanking God for the the, the first fruits and the future harvest and we have that picture that it speaks of the resurrection of the Lord as the first fruits, and then the harvest of believers who would come into the church. And that's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 15 20, when he says, Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. And the seven weeks, the seven Sabbaths from that day, Plus the one day which was the next day of the Feast of First Fruits brought you to Pentecost. Pentecost. This was the ingathering of the first harvest in Israel. And the book of Ruth is read in the synagogues at this particular time. It speaks to us of the outpouring. Of the Holy Spirit. For Israel, Pentecost was the time of the spring rains, a time of refreshing. And for this feast they were instructed, if you read verse 16, On the morrow after the seventh Sabbath ye shall number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Let me read it in this translation. You shall count fifty days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then ye shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring it you shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two tenths of a Nephah, they shall Be of fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits for the Lord. Fine flour baked with leaven, mixed with leaven. Now, it's interesting that this bread was to be made of new grain new fine flour does that speak to us all the Lord Jesus Christ new grain the church which was born at Pentecost it was different from all that had gone before did not start in the old covenant but at Pentecost when believers were baptized into one body Jews and Gentiles into the body of Christ believers are a new creation in Christ as it says in Ephesians two, fifteen: having abolished in his flesh the enmity so that in himself he might make the two into one new man making peace between them. And so that he might reconcile both to God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity. This was something completely new. Gentiles and Jew were to be joined together. But in verse 17 it says, They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. What does this mean? It would appear incongruous that fine flour speaking of Christ should be mixed with leaven. The very thing that Israelites were told to avoid and speaks of our sinful nature. But in these loaves, which were to be presented to the Lord as a wave offering, they were to be mixed the fine flour and the leaven. The fine flour speaking of of christ in his sinless life his perfect obedience to his father and leaven speaking of our sinfulness and disobedience you see part of the answer may be <clears throat> we still have a sinful nature our old fleshly nature with the leaven which must be controlled But the wonderful explanation that when this leaven was mixed with the fine flour it was then baked in the fire. And you know, leaven loses its strength when it is heated and baked in the fire. Paul reminds the Ephesians as to their old life and their nature. Ephesians two three among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lusts of the flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and whereby nature the children of wrath even as others we have the old nature we still have it we still have that fleshly nature which we must overcome Peter reminds us as to how we should live our lives, first Peter four, two, that we no longer should live the rest of our lives, our time in the flesh, to the lusts of men, but to do the will of God, oh that each one of us should obey the teaching of the Holy Spirit through Paul in Romans six twelve Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. That ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. We still have that sinful nature. We have accepted Christ as our Saviour. But we still have that sinful nature. Paul says. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. That ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace." And these loaves were presented as a wave offering before the Lord. And with the presentation of the loaves before the Lord, a burnt offering was made. Leaven was never burned on the altar. It had to be a blood sacrifice. Only a perfect, sinless offering could be offered on the altar. So in verse 18 we read, "And ye shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock and two rams. they shall be a, for a burnt offering unto the Lord, and their, with their meat offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire." of sweet savor unto the lord it is only through the sacrifice of our lord jesus christ that we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ the loaves were presented to god as a wave offering they were acceptable because of the sin offering so this is why paul says It follows on the thought in Romans 12 verse 1 I beseech you therefore brethren that by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God that's why Paul could say Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ liveth in me and the life that I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me Yeah.